When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A lot of women find financial investing intimidating and risky. Numerous studies show that compared to men, women would rather put their money into savings versus the stock market because there is less risk associated with a savings account. Welcome to Theodora Speaks. Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode centers around the theme of values-aligned investing and how to encourage women to invest their money where it aligns to their, to their values. It is my hope that you walk away from today's episode feeling inspired and enthusiastic about both career reinvention and taking risks in your life, including around your money. If you struggle with indecision in your career, visit gailkeller.org for more information on how I can help you successfully reboot your career without the crash and burn. Having walked in your shoes, struggling to follow my heartstrings, I know what you are going through and I can help you become more confident and courageous in taking calculated risks in your career whether it's going for the job promotion or leaving the organization altogether. Taking calculated risks isn't easy, and I can help ease the angst about taking your professional leap of faith with one-on-one advisory coaching to group mastermind sessions. I also work with corporations and universities on gender inclusion initiatives pertaining to women majoring in STEAM to women navigating their STEAM careers. I asked my guest, Janine Firpo, to be a guest to share her professional reinvention stories. Janine left a 35-year career in tech and international development to focus on how women can create a more just and equitable society through their financial investments. She adds author, angel investor, and social entrepreneur to her career reinventions. We share the commonality of being women in technology who care about our values and our finances. Janine recently wrote a book called Activate Your Money, encouraging women to become more confident with their money, identify with their money, and align their values to their investments. There is synergy between risk-taking when it comes to taking calculated risks in your career and taking calculated risks with your investments, staying true to yourself and to your values. Janine has an impressive background from being a woman in technology at Hewlett Packard to international development work at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Listen for when Janine defines reinvention and how staying curious with courage and humility has kept her going. Today, we will cover topics from a woman in technology turned values-aligned investor turned advocate for women in money, specifically diving into risk-taking and career reinvention to risk-taking and money. Welcome, Janine. Thank you for being with us. Hi, Gail. Thanks so much for having me. It's a delight. So, Janine, you're a woman who's taken calculated risks in both your career to reinvent yourself along the way and you reinvented how you invest your money. Where did your risk-taking courage come from? You know, that's a really good question. And I can't say that I know 100%. But what I can tell you is that when I was young, I was incredibly shy. And I was really 
super unhappy. I spent the early part of my life really unhappy. And so I think there was just a desire in me for something more. And I realized the only way that I was going to have more was as I've stepped out of my comfort zone, my discomfort zone and took some risks. And so I started doing that. And I started doing that early on in terms of forcing myself to go to parties. I was really an introvert. So I had to force myself into being an extrovert and I got better at it over time. And then I just was more and more willing to take risks. Well, you and I share that in common. So growing up throughout grade school until I got to high school, I was coined the mute. I never talked. Wow. And so I finally came out of my shell in high school and haven't shut up since, but. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of amazing how that happens. And for me, it was really just, I was not feeling satisfied with my life. I knew I needed something more and I needed to change. And it was only me that was going to change it. Yeah. So outside of going to parties, what else did you do to get outside of your comfort zone? I became a triathlete at one point and I hate to swim. So um, Uh I had to force myself how to to get in a pool. And then I actually swam across the San Francisco Bay at one point. And that was also something that I just had to do with others. And I had encouragement from others and I did it. In fact, I've swum the San Francisco Bay now a couple of times. So you compete in that race that they do? Well, I never competed. Let's be clear. I just participated. I've never been a good enough athlete that I'm anywhere near the top of the charts, but I have always enjoyed athletics and I was a marathon runner for many years and then got introduced to triathlons and became a triathlete for a while too. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like if you made up your mind, you're a determined woman. And if you put your mind to it, you'll get things done. So what decision-making skills and superpowers, Janine, help you take your calculated professional risks? So I'm a learner, I'm a voracious reader, and I think that part of what mitigates risk, at least for me, is knowledge. So the more knowledge that I can have about something, the more comfortable I feel doing it. So I'll give you a great example, um, because it's really pivotal to my story. In 1995, I quit a job that I had, and I did a four and a half, five month solo backpacking trip through Sub-Saharan Africa. I'd never done anything like that before. Um, This was before there were cell phones. This was before there were ATMs. I mean, I had to write letters home. It took three weeks to get a letter to Africa. I had to carry all my own cash. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I read a lot. And I also went and met other women who had traveled alone through the same countries that I was going through. And that helped me know what to be prepared for. And I really set myself up. I mean, I traveled with a virtual pharmacy um, and I was prepared for many, many possible bad outcomes. Fortunately, none of them ever happened to me, but knowing that I was prepared made me feel more confident. And I use the same tactics in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. That's a really great tip of wisdom to always be prepared. Talk about your career in high tech. You began a career as a woman in technology and international development, having worked for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So I actually fell into high tech. I started my, I had anticipated becoming a professional academic, actually. I was studying marine biology. I was working on a master's degree in marine biology in Florida. And um, it was suggested to me that I take some computer courses, which at that time, we're talking the late 1970s now, at that time, computers meant mainframe computers, punch cards, and 
big um, printout. So I did that and I realized I loved technology. And to make a, a long story short, I, when I graduated with a master's degree, I realized the PhD was not gonna happen. The marine biology was not gonna happen. And I started my career as a coder, actually something called an assembly language programmer in technology. And then I was in high tech for 15 years. I got into customer support, training, and eventually became an evangelist at the Bill and, at, excuse me, at Apple Computer in the 80s. So it was a really interesting career. I was having a lot of fun with it. Um, I left, actually I left Apple because they wouldn't let me telecommute. In 1991, I left Apple because they made me come to an office every day. Mm. And I lived an hour away, it was a pain. So I joined another company and became a vice president of a startup. And um, I quit them in 1995 to go on this backpacking trip that I told you about. So mm -hmm. that was my high-tech career. I love it. So what kind of high-tech did you take with you when you went backpacking before there were cell phones and ATMs and? Nothing. 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 I mean, back then, when I left, what's really interesting, when I left on that trip in 1995, it was February of 1995. I and everyone I knew was in an industry called the CD-ROM industry. So I was helping education developers make CD-ROM products and Laserdisc products. And when I came back four or five months later, something called the internet had emerged on the scene. The CD-ROM industry was dead. The internet was the new thing. But something had happened to me when I was in Africa. I had seen poverty like I'd never seen it before. And I made a decision while I was there that I was gonna figure out a way to come back to these countries, work in them, and use my life's work to make a difference in poverty. And so, although I was perfectly poised to be part of the internet, first internet bubble and the first internet ride, I stepped off that train and did something completely different with the rest of my career. So, I have such a curious question about everything you said, Janine. What did your parents think when you left to go to Africa? <laughs> so what did my parents think? Um, my mother was terrified of me going off on this journey, um, but they had come to realize by that point that they weren't gonna have a lot of sway over what I did, that I was gonna do what I wanted to do regardless. They, they were also very, very supportive. I mean, my mom had been a big traveler in her own life. And my guess is that part of where I got my travel bug was from her. So um, again, as a sign of the times, then when I left on that trip, I left my mom with a box of about 150 already addressed stamped envelopes. Because what I would do is I would send letters to her like on a weekly basis so she could know where I was. I'd tell her where I was going. And then she would video, she would make a Xerox of the letter and put it in like 20 envelopes and send it to 20 of my friends. So everybody kind of was kept up to date on where I was. So that helped her feel more comfortable. Oh, sweet. That's so thoughtful. So did you ever get homesick? No. No. I mean, actually, okay, to be honest, and any long-term travel will, will realize that when you first go on a trip, you're just blown away by everything you see. It's so amazing. But then you hit sort of a three month slump where you do get homesick. You feel like, oh my gosh, I've been traveling. It's hard at around the three month mark. But if you make it through that, 
then you're off for like another three to four months before you have a worry about going home again. That's been my experience anyway. Oh, that's great. So that, that preparedness, you always know if something isn't going well, it will turn itself around, it sounds like. So you persevere. Yes, absolutely. What were the circumstances that called you away from a career in technology to development work? So it really was that trip to Africa. I mean, it was a life-changing trip, I've really come to realize. And um, it didn't completely call me away from tech because what happened was um, I started to think when I came back from that trip, I started to think about, well, how can I take these 15 years of experience I have in the high-tech sector and actually bring it to bear in the countries that I was visiting and bring it to bear in helping to solve poverty. So it took me about a year to figure this out and I did consulting in the internet space while I was figuring it out, but I ultimately created my second career, which was really at the intersection of technology, business thinking, and then applying those to big social and poverty related problems. So that's the second career. Technology was still a part of it. Mm -hmm just in a very different form. Mm -hmm. So aligning to international poverty. Exactly. I got involved in something called microfinance um, in early 2000, which is making loans to women primarily, um, small loans, we're talking 50 to a couple hundred dollars, and it gives them the capital they need to build small businesses and bring themselves and their families out of poverty. And when I got involved with it, it was reaching about 100 million people in the world. But according to McKinsey and company, the need was 2.5 billion people. So the question we started to ask then was, well, how could we apply technology to microfinance to help it scale 10 to 15 times bigger than it is? And that inquiry, um, I was not the only one in it, but the result of that inquiry was the invention, quote unquote, of something called mobile money, which is using the mobile phone as the bank for the poor. And so I, in 2007, that entered the scene in Kenya through a company called, a product called M-Pesa. And um, I became one of the earliest mobile money experts and concluded my career in the mobile money industry which has now become big business. So that marriage of technology and business, having worked for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, what did the organization and role teach you about yourself? Well, interestingly enough, one of the things I really came to realize while I was there and part of the reason that I left, I mean, I left the Gates Foundation in 2017 and actually retired at that time but as I just said, the mobile money industry had become kind of big business. And I realized I'm really a startup kind of person. I like the early phases of things. I am an evangelist. I love to um, promote ideas and help people see possibilities that they maybe haven't seen before. And where I was and the work that I was doing had just gotten so beyond those early startup phases that I was really wanting to go back to doing something in the beginning again, mm -hmm. or close to the beginning. And maybe align more to your values? Well, I must say, I've been really fortunate that most of my career, I've always loved every single job I've ever had, always. Um, I'm really lucky in that way. And I do think that big pivot that I took um, in 1995 led to a career that was very aligned with my values. 
And prior to that time, I did a lot of volunteer work to um, create a better world. So I think I've always been working toward that. And I've always had an aspect of my life, if not all of it, I think um, aligned with my values. And I, I work more and more all the time to make sure every aspect of what I do and how I show up in the world is integral and to my values and in integrity with who I am. That's beautiful. And a lot of us yearn for that or want more of that. So that's that's a beautiful side to you that you're sharing. So as we kind of pivot, Janine, to your career pivot, your values align mindset when it comes to investing. Money is such a personal, private topic. And a lot of people find money intimidating. Your latest reinvention is becoming an author who recently wrote a book called Activate Your Money. Your book is not about becoming a billionaire, but out about encouraging all women to grow with their money and invest in the things they care about. Tell us about your own financial journey with your money. So like many of us, although we may not realize it, we have beliefs around money that get formed very, very early in our lives, right? And they inform the way we think and the way we behave, either consciously or unconsciously. So my earliest involvement with money as a child was that we didn't have enough and we had to save we had to do without we had to wear hand-me-downs all of that kind of stuff and so i grew up with a sort certain scarcity mindset and i grew up being told that you really needed to save your money as i moved into my high school years however my mom moved into the real estate industry and it turned out she was really good at it so she started doing better financially. And as she started doing better financially, she started buying real estate and renting properties. And she taught me and my sisters how to do the same. And then in the 80s, my mom got involved in the stock market and she started teaching herself how to invest in the stock market. And she taught us. And so I have, from the earliest time that I was um making money, I've saved it, I've lived below my means, and I have invested it. And that understanding about investing has just grown. And then at some point, I made the decision about 10 years ago, that I wanted to invest all of my money in ways that were aligned with my values and left the world in a better place. So I've been on that particular journey mm -hmm. ever since. So just sharing that story you just shared about your mom, I see why you dedicated your book to your mom. I absolutely would not be in the position that I'm in today if it had not been for her 100%. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I would agree with you, Janine, where it starts at home. It starts at an early age about investing, understanding money, how to earn it, how to save it, how to spend it, when to spend it, when to not. And so in the 1980s, when I was a little girl, my parents said, okay, let's look at the newspaper, pick a couple stocks, and you're going to invest in the stock market. And so that was just fascinating and fun. And then fast forward to our savings accounts and watching them grow as a little kid as we contributed to our savings, where my brother at the age of seven said, oh my gosh, you mean I have to work for a living? How am I going to ever make enough money to retire? And so he's just under 40 now and that's top of mind. And so that always stuck with me too. You know, you've got to save for retirement, save for the future. Exactly. Well, the fact that your family helped you is great. And unfortunately, a lot of women didn't get that kind of coaching. And so a lot of women don't know what to do. They're afraid of their money. They 
um, don't think they could be smart investors. And so I really want to help those women too. The ones who know something and the ones who just feel terrified by the whole subject. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I love it. And you brought something very important out in your book. Well, myriad of importance. But one thing that stood out is that women are intimidated by the stock market and they're more likely to put their money in a savings account because the stock market is risky. Exactly. So here's something super interesting to be aware of. So for any women listening to this, do not feel like you are stupid. Do not feel like you are alone. Do not feel like you should know this stuff. It is not surprising that you don't have confidence around investing. In fact, only 9% of women feel like they would be better investors than men, even though when we do invest, we outperform them by up to 1.8% per annum. The reason that we don't feel confident is because we're not taught to be confident. 90% of articles that are directed toward women about money tell us to save our money, 90%. And 65% of them tell us that investing is hard. By contrast, the articles that are directed toward men 73% tell them to invest their money and to grow their wealth and teach them how to do that. So we are actually being educated and trained by society and the media differently than men are. And the good news is that we've listened. Um, We do save, we outsave men. But the problem is we save that money in cash, 70 cents on the dollar in cash which means year on year, we're actually losing money. And any money that we have in cash is not helping us get to retirement. And we need retirement more than men because we have shorter term, um, shorter terms in the workforce and we have longer life expectancies. So we need to get smart about our money and we need to take control of it if we want to have the kinds of lives that we want throughout our lives. Mm-hmm. Is it the year 2030, Janine, where women will outshine men in terms of being owners of more money because of the caretaking, because of the inheritance. Exactly. So what you're referring to is that according to, again, a McKinsey study by, and other studies, but by 2030, the women in this country will control the majority of money in the country. Now that's really powerful for a couple of reasons. One is, um, when we control it, we can choose to let somebody else make investments for us, or we can choose to make how, how we invest ourselves. And we invest differently than men. 84% of women and 95% of millennials want their money to invest it in ways that are sustainable, that are more meaningful, and that go beyond just financial return. So if you think about that, we're also heading into the biggest wealth transfer that we've ever seen in this country. So over the next 20 or so years, the vast majority of money in this country is moving into the hands of women and millennials. If enough of us start to invest in ways that are more meaningful, we don't listen to the stories of the past. We don't invest just because we're looking for maximized financial return. We actually think about the consequences that our money is having in the world. We start putting our money into our local communities. We start as women supporting other women. We start looking at how do we hand a sustainable planet to our children. We can change the economy. Women have the power to change the economy and change what's important because power goes where money flows and we are gonna control 
where the money flows mm-hmm. if we want. How do you feel now that your book is released into the world? It's just the start. So I'm very happy to have the book out in the world, but I really think of it just as the foundation for the work that I want to do going forward. Um, It's the beginning. I have a lot of work to do, which it makes me happy. I mean, I'm retired. What else am I going to do but work? (laughs) (laughs) Doing something you love even more than the other professions you've had. Well, I love them then. Here's the thing. It's like people change, right? So if you, if you took the clock back 10 years, I would have told you I was loving what I was doing in mobile money and I was as happy as a clam doing it. But there comes a point when you're like, you know what, that was amazing, but enough, I'm done with that. It's time for something else. I'm ready for something else. And so this just happens to be the phase that I'm in now and who knows how long it will last or what the next phase will be. I just hope that I have phases until the day I die. Oh, and I think you will, because reinvention has no age limit, in my opinion. Janine, give us a brief overview of your three-part book. So great. So Activate Your Money was actually written to help women. It's directed toward women exclusively, um, and it is written to help them take control of their money, become confident investors, and learn how to invest their money in a way that grows their wealth at the same time that it's helping to create a better world. And it's split into three parts, as you suggested. The first part is more introductory, and it explains what this kind of investing is, why you mat- why it matters, the impact we can have. It helps women think about what grounds them in money, what are their money stories, and if they're going to invest with their values, what are those values? How do they make those decisions? And then there's some basic like financial investing 101, things that anyone should sort of know before they get started. The second part of the book is really the the core of the book, and it goes literally asset class by asset class. For those who don't know what an asset class is, an asset class is basically a designation of a certain type of investment. So cash, having your money in a savings and checking account, cash is an asset class. Bonds, fixed income, things that are returning, I don't know, in the 2 to 5% return, but are fairly... um, fairly lower risk. We think of them often as lower risk, although it's not completely true, but that's an asset class. The stock market is an asset class. Private investing is an asset class. So it goes through each of these asset classes, talks about what they are, what's the lingo, how do you invest, what are your options, and then how do you find values-aligned investments within that asset class. And then the book ends with an ability to actually think about some special things like How do you find a financial advisor if you want one? And how do you find a values-aligned financial advisor? How do you work with them? If you've got a lot of money in a retirement fund, a 401k or an IRA, which many of us do, how do you move that money into alignment with your values? And then finally, the book ends with an explanation of how to get together with your friends, start a club, and learn together. Because one of the things that I learned, um, and a lot of what I've learned, I learned from my mom, as I said, but I also have been in three investment clubs in my life, and I've learned in all of them. I think that learning how to invest and being a smart investor is work. All of us women are way too busy to take on another project. Um, We have been taught that investing is a solo gain because that's how the men do it, but we don't have to do it that way. We can actually do it with our girlfriends. 
and it's super fun. And so the book is actually written in a way where you could take it as a curriculum or a book club and go through it chapter by chapter together. And there's actually a whole free curriculum on Canvas that you could use to help you do that. I love the educational aspect. I love the whole safety in numbers by you know joining an investment club with other women, the accountability it holds, the confidence it brings and the courage. Very well thought out. And it also really divides the work. So it's, it makes it easier. It's so much more fun. And I'll tell you something else too. When you invest in a way that aligns with your values and you're investing in things that you care about and you start to see what those investments are doing in the world, it makes your money more fun. Mm. It makes you feel great about the fact that you know that your money is in a local financial institution instead of a big bank. And that is actually helping female entrepreneurs get loans. It's helping underserved populations buy homes, go to school, get college degrees. I love the fact that my money does that. It's awesome. And I get reports from my banks that tell me, you know what, this just happened. And this person just was able to do X, Y, Z because of your money. So everything that you, you did say, it's empowerment for women. Yes. Which yeah. is great. Yes. So if you had to pick one myth to debunk from your book related to the taboos around women and financial empowerment, what would it be? Well, there's actually two myths that I really would like to debunk. So one is that we can't do this. Nonsense. We absolutely can. This is a skill that we can learn just like we learned anything else. And we can be great at this. And we can bring our own approach to it, we can bring heart to it, and we can bring our mind to it. So we can be smart, we can be savvy, we can be financially on the ball, and we can think about the impact that our money is having. And that's the second myth that I want to get rid of, is that if you invest with your heart as well as your mind, you have to give up financial return. That is absolutely not the case. I am not doing this because I'm just, you know, want to do good in the world. I do, but I also know that like everyone else, I need money for retirement. I need money for the things that I want. And so I'm looking for the same financial return, if not better than what I would get from my other investments. That's strong and empowering for all of us to hear that, that, you know, yes, we can do this. So thank you. So in your book, Janine, you also mention how your goal is to empower, encourage women to take control of their finances, to feel comfortable making investment decisions that align to their values. How did you realign your investments to align to your values? So what happened for me is when I made the, de the decision about 10 years ago to do this, um, I looked first for a financial advisor to help me because I was super busy and I didn't have time to get into it all myself. And so I found one who didn't really help me. And um, long story short, I've been through about three financial advisors in the last 10 years, all of whom were supposed to help me with this and none of whom really got me where I wanted to be. So when I retired, I took my capital back, some of it. I still have advisors because I use them as educators. Um, but I took my capital back and the first thing I did was look at, well, how is all my money allocated? What's in cash? How much is in stock? How's it allocated? Do I agree with those allocations? Do I want to keep them? Do I want to change them? 
And then I started asset class by asset class. So I started with my cash. I was like, okay, let's get this stuff in banks that I care about. So I did my research, found the banks, I moved my money. And I did it slowly um, because I didn't want to stress myself out. So that's a really important thing about this too, is that you don't have to do it all at once. You can think of this as a lifelong process and as something that you do in stages so that you do a little bit at a time, you know, step one, step two, step three. And then after I did that with my cash, I started looking at my public equities because they were a big part of the money that I had. And I started looking and researching, well, where would I move these assets instead? And I started that process. So I'm just going asset class by asset class and reallocating my money as I go. So I think this really depends on each of us and how much, how comfortable you are with advisors and, and what our asset level is. So for some people, they don't want advisors at all. So I'm not saying everybody has to have one. And some, particularly younger women or women who are just getting started, might feel most confident starting with robo advisors. So there are, um, so that's an option too. And if you wanna go the robo advisor way, there are some, and I mentioned them in my book and on my website that are values aligned. And there's one called LVEST, which is for women, designed specifically for women. So there are robo advisors out there. If you want to go beyond that, um, then I think, what you look for an advisor, I actually asked this of an advisor who helped me with the book. And she said, the most important criteria an advisor is someone who listens. And I just thought that was such an important point. I had been expecting her to say that it should be somebody who has um, fiduciary responsibility to you, which means they put your financial interests before their own. But she talked about listening, and I think that that's important because it is something that most advisors don't do well. They tend to tell us what to do as opposed to really listening to what we want. Mm -hmm. And as women, we um, don't feel comfortable with that. In fact, over 75%, I think it is, of new, newly divorced or widowed women get rid of their financial advisors when they move through that transition because traditionally those advisors have been selected by their husbands or their partners and they don't speak to the women and so the women change them so listening I think is really important in looking for an advisor that's great advice and one of my personal experiences when my husband and I were newly married we went with his advisor over mine and just from day one I couldn't stand the, the, this gentleman and I hope he's not listening but he just didn't align to, to my values, to my goals. He wasn't talking to me. Oh, you've got a job in tech. You'll be fine. You'll make money. Just save it. Blah, blah, blah. You're set up for success. Anyway, back to you, right? To my husband. And so after a couple of years, my husband finally listened and saw what, what I was telling him I saw. And so we, we moved on and we found a wonderful firm and advisor now that actually talks to me in the room. That's fantastic. And That's makes- great. And there are some sites you can use to find values aligned advisors. And I also mentioned those in the book and the website. And I've mentioned the website a couple of times. So I just want to explain what that's about. So every single chapter in the book ends with a take action section. It actually gives you steps that you can take um, to move your money in that asset class or to be more values aligned in that asset class. And doing this requires tools. Sometimes we need to use spreadsheets. Sometimes there are letters we want to write or there are templates that could be helpful to us. Maybe a little bit of training. 
So I created a website. It's called activateyourmoney.net that's very closely aligned to the book. And you can go on that and find all of these additional resources to take action. I've also created a series of um, videos that are on YouTube that train women how, or train anybody. I mean, men can read the book too. So I know I talk about a lot about women and I do that because we have been left out of this conversation so much. And so many of the financial books and advice have been written from a male's perspective to a man, but I'd love men to read the book too. Men are, are welcome to any of the tools that I've got just the same as women, but I just speak to women. Um, but I created all of these videos to train people on how to use something like Morningstar to understand, you know, how fees work and how turnover works in the stock market. What these terms mean, how um, they impact our investments and why we should know about them. So that's all available on the web. Yeah, I read your book. I loved your book. I think the the online kind of guide, that tangible takeaway, I'm a visual learner. I just, I think that that's just brilliant how you tied those two pieces together. So Janine, if you had to pick one thing, one or two things, why women should care about their money, what would, what would they be? One is for your children. I mean, if you have children, I don't, but if you have children, really, do you want this legacy of not being confident about this to carry on? And you are, as a woman, a mother, going to be one of the primary sources of information for your children around this. So that's one. I'd really love to see this um, pattern that's existed for so long broken. The other is for yourself. I mean, I would imagine a lot of people listening have heard of Susie Orman. She is a woman who's done a lot of financial education for women. And one of the things that she talks about that I think is really important is she talks about financial freedom and where many of us are familiar with that term, right? And it's basically the ability to, it's the knowing that you have enough capital to achieve the goals that you have in your life. And that's important, but she says it's not enough. She says that you also need financial independence and financial independence means that you have enough knowledge that you know what's going on with your money. So do you really wanna be dependent on other people around your money? Nobody is ever gonna care about your money the way you do. No one is ever gonna need it the way you do. And we aren't, we don't wanna be dependent on, on men or other people for a lot of other things. We're moving into a period where we recognize our power, we recognize our freedom. Money is so core and central to who we are and the lives that we have. Why would we be dependent on other people around that? And then in addition to what Susie Orman says, I've come up with the term of financial fulfillment. And what that means is you find joy in your money. You are at peace with your money. You find joy in it. You know what your money is doing. You feel good about what it's doing. And it is another aspect of who you are, how you show up and what you do in the world is how you invest your money and what it's doing for your family, your community, and the planet. Well, you brought me joy in today's conversation, Janine. And as we wrap, a couple of last questions. You're resilient, and all your experiences have left a lesson that changes the way you think about reinvention and the way you understand reinvention. So Janine, what does reinvention mean to you? I think you have to have a certain level of curiosity but you also have to have humility. 
So if you're going to reinvent yourself, you know, when I shifted out of mobile money and I um, moved into what I'm doing now, when I was in mobile money, I was an expert. People regarded me as such. I was known in my field. When I started doing this, I was kind of back at square one, right? So I had to be willing to have beginner's mind again. I had to be willing to have a level of humility and I had to be willing to um, move off of a certain level of how I was viewed in the world and move to something different. So I think that's a really important part of reinvention. It also takes a certain amount of courage. Um, and I think that's something you learn over life, right? I, when I started out in my life, I thought the way you got to where you wanted to go was you picked a goal and you marched toward that. And that's what I did for many years. But at some point I realized that there's more magic and more beauty when you let go of that agenda and you let life point you in some ways and you just go into a phase of really deep listening where you pay attention to that inner voice and you listen to it and you let it guide you. And it, when I do that, I have found such joy and fulfillment in my life when I let my inner voice guide me. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here to, today, Janine, and I look forward to staying in touch. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to not only staying in touch, but doing some wonderful things with you. I look forward to whatever will unfold for the two of us going forward. Likewise. Cheers to reinvention. special thank you to Janine for sharing her courageous and inspiring stories with us. Thank you to you, our valued listeners, and to New Voice Studios for producing Theodora Speaks. The three key takeaways from today's conversation with Janine are, one, knowledge is power. To be brave and adventurous in this world, be prepared. Two, it's time that we debunk the myths about women not being confident enough to invest so women can confidently take control of their money and become more values aligned when investing and contributing to the sustainability of our world. And lastly, start investing in things that align to your values. And while you're at it, join an investing group with your girlfriends who also share the same values about money as you do. Please visit gailkeller.org and sign up for my newsletters. I can help you successfully fail forward in your career without the crash and burn. Thank you and stay courageous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.